Chapter 2 of Silly and Its Legends by Henry James Whitfeld. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Timothy Ferguson. Chapter 2. On the morning of Saturday, the 27th of March, 1852, I stood upon the old quay, Penzance. In my place, a Roman would have abandoned the enterprise. The Iron Duke would have grumbled and gone on. An ill omen had decidedly encountered us at the outset. The good yacht Ariadne was lying at her moorings outside the basin for want of water to enter. Her boat was waiting for the appearance of Captain Tregarthen with Her Majesty's mails, and in that boat was the presage of evil which an ancient traveller would have turned aside to avoid. A young woman of respectable appearance was sitting on one of the benches and sobbing convulsively. Poor thing, she had good reason for her sorrow. She had been sent for to Scilly to meet her husband, the mate of a merchant vessel, who had arrived from abroad in bad health. She had believed him to still be alive, but one of the crew had incautiously told her that he was dead. It was a pitiful sight to see her in her first agony of grief. That long and tedious day passed away with a foot of lead for us, but what must it have been to her? Nevertheless, we were soon on board. After the first bustle and confusion, we settled down in our places, the anchor was weighed, and the Ariadne, spreading out her wings to the light and fitful breeze, crept lazily along. If there be in the British dominions a scene, the beauties of which would make a calm and durable, surely it would be here. I have travelled in many far lands beyond the sea, but I never saw a view more exquisite, nor one that gains on you more than this. The Cornish are justly proud of it. Catch a native, and the chances are his first words, as you hold him between your finger and thumb, will be, Have you seen the mount? It is an object of universal worship, and woe betide the unlucky white who renders not due homage to its claims. There it lay, proud and still, as of yore. Centuries have passed over it since the galleys of Richard of the Lion's Heart lay on the very spot now occupied by us, and prepared to wrest it from the Earl of Mortain, his false brother, afterwards King John. And there it lay, solemn in its consecration of ages, the object of veneration scarcely less religious than was offered upon its altars when the mystic cross upon which the weeds and lichens never grew was then worshipped as it is still seen upon its western slope and when the blessing of st michael was supposed to come down upon those who had journeyed hither to kneel and pray footnote probably produced by some acid or other chemical appliance footnote ends as we crept slowly on, we had before us a grand panorama as fancy as ever drew. On our left was Marazion, where are the beautiful and admirably conducted schools, built by Lady Mary Cole as a memorial of her late husband, Sir Christopher. Footnote. The mayor of Marazion is said to sit always in his own light, from the peculiar position of his pew at church. Footnote ends. Beyond, on the hill, rose the grateful spire of St. Hilary and Cudden Point, and Prussia Cove, so called from a smuggler nicknamed the King of Prussia, and far away in the dim distance, the Lizard, the Cabo Tormentoso of the West. Footnote, Cape of Storms. When the news that Vasco da Gama had doubled the Cape was brought to Alfonso of Portugal, according to Camoans in the Luisiad, quote, No Cape of Storms, the joyful king exclaimed, Cape of Good Hope, thou be forever named. End quote, end footnote. And so on we went, the sea around us crisped by the breeze, and a fleet of mackerel boats adding life and interest to the scene. Our skipper hailed one of them, and asked, What news? 
A French boat took 70,000 mackerel into St. Mary's, was the reply. A mail bag belonging to the hapless Amazon was washed up yesterday at Newland, now close by us, but it was a matter of no interest to the crawlers in comparison with a successful sweep of fish. We passed in turns Mousel, famous for the Spanish blood and for the beauty of its women, and Lamona Cove and Boscoan Cairn, giving a name and title to the House of Falmouth, and Boskena, the ancestral seat of my excellent and accomplished friend Mr. Painter, and the famous Logan Rock, and then came the Land's End, and then the everlasting deep with its broad, unwrinkled brow. The tremendous power of ocean slumbered like a child. One living thing only was in sight. It was the back fin of a shark that played around our bows. At last it dashed away towards Penberth Cove, and we were alone upon the waves. What a weary thing is a calm at sea. There, on our left hand, is the halfway mark between Penzance and Scilly, the wolf, that is, the gulf rock. And we thought it never would come in sight, and then never would go out of it. We ought now to be at St. Mary's, and St. Mary's is a low, dark speck upon our larboard bow, scarcely visible to the naked eye. The poor young widow had gone below and cried herself from sheer exhaustion to sleep, while the rest of the passengers gathered together and told dismal tales of passages extended over many days, and of the hardships thereby entailed upon unwary travellers, as the vessel carries no provisions. At this moment we were joined by the captain, a fine specimen of the English sailor, I asked him, in the course of conversation, if Hewtown, the capital of the islands, were considered a healthy place. Healthy, sir, replied he. Healthy? Why, of course it is. It must be healthy. It can't help it, for there is so much water. He told me, however, that the cholera never came there, and though two persons with virulent smallpox once landed, the disease was confined to them and spread no further. People certainly, as I hear, live to a great age at Scilly, the following extract is from the records of the Christian Knowledge Society. Quote, Augustus Smith, Esquire, Lord Proprietor of the Scilly Islands, in a letter dated Penzance, April 13th, 1852, informed the board of the death of Jacob Hicks, formerly a schoolmaster and subsequently a pensioner of the society. Readers note within this quote there is a footnote. The footnote reads, Mr. Smith is rightly named Lord Proprietor. In old grants, the proprietors were called Lords Farmers or Governors, he holds of the crown in fee as a great vassal, and is, as it were, per legum terre, a baron of England. So a commoner is properly termed Lord Lieutenant, and we speak of a Lord of the Manor. Readers note the footnote ends, and the quote continues. Mr. Smith said that he died about a fortnight since at the venerable age of 96, leaving among other posterity a grandson, who had for some years himself been a grandfather. End quote. It was dusk as we entered Crow's Sound, which is the channel between the islands of St. Martin and St. Mary. We were even then hardly certain of getting to our port by night. I heard one of the passengers ask a sailor, very querulously, if we were likely to reach Hewtown before Sunday morning. It was evidently not a matter of course that we should sleep on shore. I don't know how the other strangers were provisioned, but my sea stock was composed of three captain's biscuits and a paper of gingerbread nuts, the kind parting gift of Mrs. Hampton, the confectioner, at Penzance to my children. Well, it could not be helped. We bargained for novelty and romance, and, to a certain extent, we had them. It was a trip beyond steamers, with a vengeance. Suddenly at dusk the sails began to fill. The Ariadne drew more cheerily through the water, 
A few scattered lights twinkled and danced upon the low line of the coast before us, and we found ourselves, literally at the eleventh hour, in port. We were not, however, fated to leave our ship without one other incident to show that we were in a strange land. When I went to pay my passage money, Captain Tregarthen would not take it, but said he should see me somewhere again. He was off with his mails before I could reply. With this parting trait of primitive confidence, I went ashore, took up my quarters at some very comfortable lodgings, in a house where my attendant was a young lady who spoke French, and meditated till bedtime on the subject of the following tale. Footnote. To those unacquainted with Cornwall, it may be necessary to say that the islands of Scilly were supposed to have been formerly connected with the mainland by a broad tract of country called in Cornish Lethoso, or the Lioness, on which there were no fewer than 140 churches. Tradition says that this wide and wealthy district was rent from land's end and submerged by some violent convulsion. There is a curious confirmation of this legend in the fact that flints and chalk formations exactly similar are found on the Castle Downs at Tresco and at the Land's End and are discovered there only at the precise points where the islands and the continent face each other and where the disruption, granting it to have occurred, must have commenced. Reader's note footnote ends. End of chapter 2. Recording by Timothy Ferguson, Gold Coast, Australia.